Sunday because it is the Lord's Day. It is the day that he rose from the dead. And today is an extra special Sunday when we get a chance to celebrate all the more of the most significant event that has ever happened and will ever happen in world history. He is risen. Let's hear it. He is risen indeed. Are you afraid of your own voices? <laughs> Pretend you're in a Blue Jays game. He is risen. He is risen indeed. All right, I'm starting to believe you. One more time. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Now let's see a few people dancing. Ben, get up and dance. <laughs> Krishna. Hey, all right, that's good. Krishna, get up and dance. The scripture is the account of Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after. For 40 days, Jesus, the risen Christ, has appeared again and again. And so we have this remarkable statement that Jesus was accredited by miracles and wonders and signs. As you yourselves know, they were witnesses to what God had done. But the crucifixion came, and it was a time of incredible despair for those who had followed Jesus, believing that this was the Messiah who would bring about the golden kingdom. And you remember that Peter, in the night that Jesus was on trial before the crucifixion, was the denier. And now, Jesus, or Peter, with immense courage, is standing up as the proclaimer before the great gathering at the feast, because this is the day of Pentecost. Why? What has happened? Well, we heard it even in the scripture that uh, Pastor Ernest read from Acts 10. They were witnesses, not only to the crucifixion, but also to the resurrection. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of this fact. Doesn't that want to make you shout amen? Amen. All right, we're starting to get it. Come on, Don. Let's get it. Colleen, I want to hear it, right? Now, as you know, there are always naysayers. There are always doubters, and that's okay. God bless them. But you got to get on board, because whether you doubt or not, it is the truth, it is the reality. And let's understand that from the beginning, these individuals who were running like scared rabbits, were now saying, he's alive, he's alive. We have seen him, we have seen him. Now, no one lays down their life for a lie when they know it's a lie, right? But these men, these women, laid down their lives, saying, Jesus is alive. I was in India several years ago. I was in Chennai, and there is one of the few graves, three graves, of one of the apostles. This was Doubting Thomas's grave, because you know that he went to India around 56 AD in order to do what? To share the news that Jesus is 
alive. And in about 76 AD, they killed him for it. My friends, he's alive. He's alive. He's alive. And so Peter is preaching. God has done what he promised and in a dramatic way is pouring out the Spirit upon his people. Understand that there has been 40 days of continuous appearances by the risen Christ. So this is a little timeline. Can you see the words okay or not? Are they pretty small? Well, we know that he appeared to Mary Magdalene, to the other Mary, Saloma, Joanna, and to Simon Peter, to Clopas, and one other disciple walking along the road to Emmaus, to the 11 minus Thomas, then the 11 including Thomas, and doubting Thomas said, unless I can actually touch his wounds, I'm not going to believe. And then when he saw the risen Christ, you remember what he said? My Lord and my God. What an incredible confession. Understanding that he is a Jew and believes in one God. How can this be so? Well, if you understand the doctrine of the Trinity, you know how it is so. By the way, there is a chapel where uh, a, a, the mission of Thomas is uh, memorialized and where you can go and worship. The original language of the chapel was uh, Portuguese because it was the Portuguese who uh, were first colonizers in that area of India. But now, when you walk towards the chapel, right across the front of this chapel, up on the hill where Thomas had his mission, are these words, my Lord and my God. You know what language? English. I guess Thomas spoke English. <laughs> but let's understand that the reality of Jesus and the empty tomb is the thing that has motivated those first witnesses and has continued to energize. And we'll talk a little more about that. You'll remember that early on, the morning of the third day, he was crucified Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday, the first day of the week, the women have come and they come with spices. They want to see that he's properly buried, because he's dead. And they get there, and what do they find? The stone's been rolled away. And then they have this conversation with these two glowing creatures. And as they're having this conversation, they remember the promise that Jesus had made that he would rise from the dead. And they ran back. And they told the eleven. And you know what the eleven thought they were talking? Nonsense! Of course, you know why? They, just as surely as we, know that when you die, you're dead. But here, they are testifying that Jesus is alive, that the tomb is empty. And Peter, in his preaching, reminds those who have actually been witness to these events have at least heard about them as contemporary news, as contemporary as the news, by the way, that you may have heard this morning, 
of the eight bombings in Sri Lanka. And there, there are these three churches that were targets. Let's remember our brothers and sisters who there, in the face of persecution and danger, continue to worship the one who is King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the risen Christ. God have mercy on them and all God's people wherever they are. We can say amen. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. This is the plan of God. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Now, a little bit further in the book of Acts, we have Paul, who's giving a testimony. They're trying to get him from Caesarea on the coast in Palestine up to Jerusalem, where he can be in the hands again of the Jewish leaders who want to put him to death. He has claimed his right as a Roman citizen to be tried in Rome, and so that protects him. Now Festus, the governor, doesn't know what to do with this man because he's clearly not guilty of any crime. And so he takes him to King Agrippa, and King Agrippa, who's Paul says, is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. This was current events. And that's how Paul addressed King Agrippa. Because it was not done in a corner. Everyone knew what had transpired that he had been crucified, and then these amazing reports of the empty tomb. And then Peter continues to preach and say, God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Amen? Amen. Then Peter tries to drive the point home using the scriptures. And see, he quotes from Psalm 16, 9 to 11, in which we have these remarkable words. You will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. And of course, Peter points out, David said these words, but we have David's tomb. He's dead. So it can't be about David. It's got to be about the promised Christ. So he drives that point home. And there are many other prophecies. Last week we looked at Isaiah 53. Now these are uh, some words in Luke 24 from the conversation that was had along the road. And the uh, two men, Clopas and the other disciple, asked each other as they were having this conversation with Jesus and their eyes were open. Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Because the scriptures are full about what God would do through Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then a little bit further, another quotation. This time, uh, this prophecy is from Psalm 110, and it has this paradox. The Lord said to my Lord, and of course the Lord Jesus puts it to the Pharisees. You explain how this could be. And of course we know how it is, because this is the Lord saying, the Lord 
God the Father saying to Lord God the Son, you sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And so it continues, and we have this word. God has raised Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. There in the uh, graphic, in the picture on screen, you will see <laughs> Doubting Thomas having a look. But friends, over 40 days, there were 500 plus people who witnessed the risen Christ. And as John says, blessed are those who believe not having seen. And by the way, I want to testify that I am one of those who believes not having seen because of the testimony that is sure and true. And so what is it that God has transacted? This one who seemed to be lost, to be uh, have the place of a criminal, to have suffered the most incredibly agonizing and humiliating death. This is the one that God has raised. And so Peter declares, therefore let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. What an incredible declaration. Now, Lord means ruler of all. And so for the background for this, you have to tie it to the phrase, the Son of Man. You know that Jesus re excuse me, referred to himself often as the Son of Man. But Daniel chapter 7, we have the Son of Man who has divine power, given authority, glory, and sovereign power. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And so this is what Peter's declaring. And he's also the Christ. That's Greek. Messiah is Hebrew. It means the anointed one, the anointed king who is coming in fulfillment of all the promises about the Davidic king. And so at Christmas time, this is a favorite passage, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And let's understand that right now as we are seated here, there are thousands coming to Jesus every day fulfilling this prophecy. When Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, there was a handful of believers. Now, numbered in the millions, indeed millions. That's true. That's reality. And how is it that you have come to Jesus? How is it that you've come to Jesus? Because of that reality. Some of you experience it more clearly and more deeply. But I trust that today will be a day that will embed your confidence in Him more deeply. He has been exalted to the right hand of God and has promised His Holy Spirit that would be poured out on us. Let's understand 
that there is the factual evidence. And yes, we can do all the apologetic stuff about establishing as strongly as anything that Jesus died, that he rose again. We look at the effects and we can uh, not doubt the incredible effects of what's happened. But there's another aspect. It's the experiential. This morning we just said goodbye to my daughter and her four children heading back to Virginia Beach. At a text, they've crossed the border, sir. They're well on the way. God keeps them safe as they travel. But let me tell you, for you it's just factual. For me it's experiential. You see? You understand? Because I have a relationship with my daughter and my grandchildren. And the thing that will make a difference for you is not that you assent intellectually. Oh yeah, this happened. But whether or not you have an experiential relationship. And that's why the receiving of the Spirit of Jesus is so incredibly important. This is when you really understand. We used to sing this song, and maybe we do from time to time, written by one uh, Alfred Ackley. Does that name ring a bell, Calvin? No? Oh, it isn't exactly the most memorable name. But you will recognize this. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that He is living. Whatever men may say, I see His hand of mercy. I hear His voice of cheer. And just the time I meet Him, He's always near. Now you recognize it, right? He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives. He lives. Salvation to impart. You ask me how I know He lives. He lives within my heart. Now let's understand heart is not some namby-pamby, mushy thing. Heart is the very center of your being. It is the control room of your life. And if you know Jesus is living like this, you know he makes all the difference. And you know he's real because you are walking and talking with him along life's road. Amen? Amen. Oh, a few of you know that. But let me invite you, wherever you are in your journey, to renew that relationship. You see, the, light, the Lord and Christ comes into our lives as a life-giving spirit. That's how he's described in 1 Corinthians 45. He, and he imparts the spirit to us. It is more than simply showing up on Sundays and going through some kind of a ritual. It is the very fabric of life. It is life-giving. You see, and there are promises attached to that. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. So one of the things I'm looking forward to is a resurrection body. Anybody else? The older I get, the more I'm looking forward to resurrection body. And you know you've been at the funerals of those who don't know Jesus and those who do, and you know the difference. There is hope. There is hope. 
So there is his presence and the hope that he gives for this life as he walks with us through every aspect, through the valley of the shadow of death. But there's also hope for eternity. There's hope forever. And so, what do you think of that graphic as a resurrection body? Not great. It's hard to find. <laughs> Mine will be better than that. But you see, we have the promise of God if we have been united with Him like this in His death, we will also be what? United with Him in His resurrection. And so that's where it has immense implication for us. It's not just what happened to Jesus. It is what flows out of that. Because we are beings who will live forever, either in the glory, the presence, the life-giving, transforming presence of God, or we will be left on our own. And we will discover how bleak is that existence. It's described in some horrific ways in Scripture. It's called hell. Now, the individuals who heard Peter preaching on that day long ago wisely said, Brothers, what shall we do? And so this morning I hope there's something in your heart that's saying, What shall we do? Let's understand this is the story of love. This is the story of love. No one else has died of me. But while I, while you, are still a sinner, Jesus died to take my place. We have the sure promise of God that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And saved means entering into that full and abundant life that it is bought by his death, it is established by his resurrection, and it is mediated to us by his spirit. Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. Hallelujah, what a gift it is to have the forgiveness of sins. Anybody here not a sinner? Anybody here not have messes in their lives? We all do. What a gift it is. Remember a phone call with a lady who was so traumatized because she had done that horrible thing of taking the life of her unborn baby, wondering is there a place of forgiveness? And yes, there's forgiveness even for that. Thank God. Today is the day of new beginnings. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's the promise. What's the only condition? That you come to Jesus. That's the only condition. And he gives us his spirit. And look at this. This promise is for you. So the 2,000 or so that he was talking to then, and your children, next generation, and the next generation, and for all who are far off. Are we far off? Yeah, we are. But praise God, it includes us. For all whom the Lord our God 
God will call. And if God is speaking to you this morning, make sure that you respond. You have the opportunity to say yes. Will you call out to him and simply say, Jesus, I need you. I need forgiveness. I need your life. Today is a good day to renew or to begin your journey with Jesus. And as we are uh, teaching, we are using the way of Jesus. And the first thing is, for those of you who know it, I have begun. I can't hear you. Come on, I'm half deaf. I know, but you got to say it louder than that. Together, I have begun following Jesus and am beginning of the Spirit of Jesus in my journey. Living like Jesus, for Jesus, and the power of the Spirit. This is the wonderful opportunity we have to live differently. And so if you're not, and you say you know Jesus, today's a good day to renew that, right? No better day than that. What are you waiting for? Because after all, the Lord is risen! He is risen indeed. Now you're getting it! He is risen! He is risen indeed. God bless you. Let's sing.